There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Who would have thought after all that cold, low temperature that things needed watering? But here in the polytunnel, of course, once the sun comes out, it gets really warm. And outside, too, that cold, biting wind really dried things out as well. I spent the best part of an hour on a Tuesday afternoon watering pansies up at Hyde Hall. Uh, anyhow, I must get indoors. Uh, get on with uh, this week's podcast. My thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants Limited of Pershaw, Worcestershire. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to exchange some news, views, a bit of seasonal advice and hopefully answer some of your gardening quandaries. When I came down the back garden path last week and stopped to admire the standard Magnolia solangiana in full flower, I was a, a bit apprehensive about night frosts. It was biting cold on a Good Friday and Easter Saturday. And then the sun came out. And Easter Sunday was a joy to Garden Potter, as long as you were sheltered from the north wind. And then Easter Monday was dull and really cold again. Although in the polytunnel, where I'd used a fleece cover over recently pricked off stock and brassica seedlings, it didn't freeze when I checked the maximum and minimum thermometer on the Tuesday morning. It just registered zero. That lulled me into a sense of a false security and I didn't uh, fleece up the following evening and then rising on Wednesday morning saw the car roof white and tulips hanging their heads. Oh, let up for a minute and you live to regret it. That magnificent magnolia, the petals were all turned to brown mush overnight. Well, at least we had a full week to enjoy them in all their glory. And interestingly, one of the purple-flowered cultivars up the street from me has come through untouched. And my brother reports the same in his garden. I must uh, check them out as I travel and see whether all of the dark-coloured magnolias are just a bit hardier than the white. On Easter Saturday, a visit was made to Dorchester-on-Thames to see how their local horticultural society's Easter Decorate Your Front Door and Garden programme went. Some residents pulled out all the stops and did eye-catching displays with uh, floral Easter bonnets on doors and gates. There were plenty of Easter bunnies and, of course, uh, arrangements of golden daffodils. 
I could see a decoration for Easter becoming as popular as villages holding open garden events for charity. I certainly enjoyed my walk around the charming old streets at Dorchester-on-Thames, where I noticed there was a queue for takeaway teas at the Abbey Café, always a popular place at weekends. The current interest in gardening doesn't abate, with March Garden Centre sales beating all records in England. Vegetable plant sales, for example, were not only double last year, but also doubled the average for the month since 2014, according to Garden Trade News bestseller lists. Potting compost sales, that I see as the best guide to gardening activity, were up 49% compared to 2019, that is a pre-lockdown distortion comparison. What's in the news? Well, it's sad to hear that uh, Southport show has been cancelled for 2021, that for the second year. My visit uh, to Guernsey to see thousands of Raymond Everson's new clematis seedlings coming into flower has also been posted again. Now I've had my second uh, vaccination, surely we'll be able to move about more freely soon. How about timely advice? You know, the days are slipping by, and in spite of the cold, we need to get on with the spring jobs. Be sure to finish all rose and fruit tree pruning. Oh, oh, and don't, whatever you do, cut things like birch and grapes, which will bleed uh, from any pruning cuts made at this time of year. I've uh, potted a few more early potatoes, and will start to sow peas some every fortnight from now onwards. Um, One or two uh, big pots of agapanthus uh, are being split, divided up to give them a bit more space and, of course, to increase numbers. I've been busy planting lily bulbs both in the ground and in pots, including uh, some new cultivars that I'll be very interested to uh, see flower come the summer. I've been uh, giving a little liquid feed to uh, some of the autumn sown sweet peas. They looked a bit hard uh, and just need a bit of gingering up at uh, this time of the year. On the east coast, soils are drying out and a spot or two of water is needed without question here and there. This week's guest is Bunny Guinness. She's been on before, but uh, you might know her from Gardener's Question Time panel. Over the past year, Bunny has been embracing YouTube. I started the interview by asking her about her videos and saying how much I'd enjoyed them. Oh, thank you very much. It's been quite cold for some of those, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) But we do some... I don't know if you've seen some when we go around gardens at... I've designed in the past. It's lovely going back to gardens that you did for clients maybe 20, 30 years ago and seeing how they progress. I'm, I'm really impressed that you're a YouTuber, Peter. I mean, I, if you want to know how to stack your dishwasher, fillet a fish or prune a rose, you just press that button and it's concise information there. And I, I just, I'm addicted to YouTube, I'm afraid. Well, when I sit and watch... 
I feel frustrated because I'd love to discuss some of these points with you. Oh, I mean, for example, let's, let's talk a bit about rose replant disease. Yes, yes. And before you set off, <laughs> I, I have to tell you that uh, I do have a little experience in, in rose growing. Uh, and working for a nursery in the 19, uh, where are we, 61, 62, uh, where we couldn't rotate the crops, a hundred tons to the acre of manure, well-rotted manure, would help us carry the disease. Yes, and it's a fascinating thing, isn't it, rosary plant? Because no one has got to the bottom of it um, until quite recently. And the Germans have invested 10 million euros on finding out the problems. Because in 2024, they use fumigants in a lot of their nurseries. to, to they, they fumigate the soil to replant the next crop to avoid the rosary replant disease but in 2024 these fumigants are being banned because they're found in the watercourses and so that's why the government has pumped in this money and Livesnick's university professor Trude Winkleman no relation to Claudia I don't think um, has been doing research on it for over 10 years and they think now they've identified one of the main contenders and that's one of the fungi from the Nectriaceae family um, and this, it's amazing. When you see a field of roses with replant disease, as you will know, you don't, there's no actual symptoms. The foliage isn't yellow or anything like that. They just grow by about 50% less. So the foliage is much less and the plants are sickly. Yeah. Yes, they just won't grow. They just won't grow healthily. You know, it's really aggravating. Really aggravating. They sit there, they sit there and they won't really go in the way that a new rose planting in new soil, you know, they really go, don't they? Absolutely. But then you see, if you're a novice gardener and you have this, you probably just think you're a lousy gardener and it probably puts you off roses, which is so sad. But now that they've identified the fungi, they're on the route, on the way to knowing what we can do about it, which I think is a big helpful. I mean, they grew a rose. Obviously, they did thousands of trials growing roses in soil with replant disease in it, where roses have been grown for years and years and years, and soil had been fumigated. And they even did it so they had a rose plant growing in a box and half the soil had been fumigated and half hadn't. And the rose roots went to the fumigated side so they could almost select, well, they can select where they want to go which I think is fascinating. Someone had written to me about something I'd written about roses and he had said he planted them a wine box. And the reason why the wine box method works, which is basically you, you get a wine box, you put fresh soil in it, you plant the rose in the wine box and plunge it into the ground... And then that works because it's got fresh soil around its roots without the Nectriaceae fungi in it. Um, and I just think that's fascinating because people have been advocating that for years, haven't they, planting them in wine boxes. I don't know if you've heard that one. Until I watched your video, I, I hadn't heard of it. Um, and in my own front garden, I have uh, 12 bonica roses that have been growing for, I think, 25 or 30 years. Wow. I dug those out yes. and did the old tradition thing of re-soiling. Oh, you see, that's hard work, isn't it? That is hard work. You've got to dig it all out. You did that yourself. How many cubic metres of soil were you digging out, Peter? No wonder you've got some biceps. It was 36 barrel loads. Wow. 
You see, you know, and, and that's just a tiny bed with ten roses. And of I course, know, I swapped. I swapped it with a veg garden, and so now I've got fritillarias coming up in the veg garden because I'd undersown the roses <laughs> with fritillarias. But, but uh, if you can find an answer to replant disease without the need to shift in. 35 barrows of soil, I'll tell you, I'm in your debt. OK, well, I'll give it to you then. It's marigolds. So that's what they do, because apple replant disease um, is also very common. And in Germany, this is a huge crop. So what they do is they sow marigolds. Now, they're a special type of marigolds. They're marigold... So it's Tagetes, Patula, Nema mix. Nema from nematode. And what happens is it, in some way, when you grow these marigolds, so now, about now, you'll sow your marigolds on the bed where you'd previously grown your roses, and then come the autumn when they're dying down, you'd dig the marigolds in. And that actually affects the nematode balance in the soil. And in some way, the nematodes are mixed up with the nectriaceae fungi and bacteria, which are the streptomyces, which are also part of the rose replant disease. And so if you grow that for a year... You will find that if you replant your roses next year, you'll have much better results. Or you could do the wine box without the marigolds, or you could do both. But obviously, they're looking into other solutions. The ideal would be to breed rootstocks, which were rose replant disease resistant, but that will take a few years, I think. Yes. But Daphne Ledward, you put me on to Daphne, which was a great tip, thank you. And she told me what she does, because her garden is so hugger-mugger, so full of plants. She just cuts a hole out of the bottom of the plastic pot the rose comes in. She puts it on the soil surface, waters it, and lets the rose establish. And that avoids rose replant disease. And that is for the same reason. There's none of those fungi, nectriaceae, or the bacteria in her potted rose plant. And it establishes, by the time its roots get through into the soil, it's got established. Because a lot of people say that the mycorrhiza is another way to avoid it. You just sprinkle mycorrhiza into the rose hole. And mycorrhiza are these wonderful roots that obviously go out and they take their sugars from the soil and they feed them to the rose via the roots. Um, it's a very basic ex explanation. But apparently that doesn't really work unless the mycorrhiza have been growing with the rose for eight weeks before you plant them in the infected soil. So when rose growers say just sprinkle a bit in the hole on planting, that doesn't work. They really need to put the mycorrhiza into the pots before they sell it so the mycorrhiza are established with the rose and then sell them after eight weeks. Well, I remember going to Barcham, the tree, the big container tree growers. I knew them well. And, and they say yes. that they didn't need to introduce the mycorrhiza because it was all the way through the standing ground. And so when they potted a plant, obviously in sterile compost, and put it on the standing ground, the mycorrhiza would in fact be present, so to speak. It's only when we're, we're gardening that we need to uh, do that addition if it's not already been done in advance. Yeah. I think there are lots of mycorrhiza in the soil anyway. And when they grow mycorrhiza commercially to sell it, they do plant a lot of marigolds in, in the mycorrhiza bed. So that is a good way of increasing your natural mycorrhiza population in your soil. I remember going, it'd be two or three years now, I suppose, to um, the, uh, Matthews, Frank P. Matthews in uh, oh, I know. Tembury Wells. Yeah, the fruit tree grew. He had 10 acres of, I think, a kind of mustard rather than tagetes 
that he was growing and, and would then rotate in and the mustard oils would help to be an alternative to chlorpicrin and those other soil sterilants. Uh, well, I must email him about the rosemary plant, see if he knows about the tangentives. That would be interesting. I'd forgotten about Nick because he obviously has a problem with his apples big time because they are the biggest fruit tree grower in England, aren't they? Oh, without question now. Yeah, and, brilliant. And, of course, you know, apples and pears are rosaceae. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, you've got the replant disease. In Germany, they're also saying that it affects olives and all sorts of other plants, which we didn't know as well. Oh, yes, I didn't realise it went to things like olives. M mind you, I'm not very keen on olives. I think they should be left <laughs> down in uh, Sicily and <laughs> south oh, southern Italy. Right. OK, we won't go on. We won't discuss <laughs> olives then, Peter. <laughs> Leave that one aside. Yeah, but... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But can we can we discuss no dig? Because that's another one. I, I knew you would hate no dig because I think whenever I hear your podcast, and I have to say I listen to it religiously every week, you're often digging. And I think I, I thought when I was doing that, I actually thought of you that podcast because <laughs> I thought there is no way on earth I would ever persuade Peter Seabrook to put down his spade. But the thing is, when, when we, my husband used to be a farmer, and he started, this was about, must have been about 50 years ago, and he had a direct drill. And so it all came, no dig came to agriculture way before horticulture. And they were direct drilling the fields. Um, and it does, it does make an awful lot of sense, I think, because um, it's easier. When you dig, you're chopping up the perennial weeds, and so you're propagating them. And I'm, I'm sure you haven't got perennial weeds in your garden, but many people have. <laughs> Not in my veg plot, I haven't. <laughs> Not in your veg plot. And also, when you turn the soil, I remember those that work they did at Bath University many moons ago, is it Peter Thode? And um, they would just glyphosate off the turf, pit plant into the dead sward, and put a mulch on top. And I, ever since I read that, and that must have been about 30, 40 years ago, I've been doing that. And I have to say, it is amazing because when you dig the soil, you're bringing weed seeds further up to the light. So you get massive germination, which is just what you don't want. The structure of the soil underneath a grass sward is normally as pretty good as it gets. And if your soil is like mine and is rubbish, which is like a very thin um, topsoil over a brash, a limestone brash, I just whack on the old 
green waste or compost onto the top and I let the words worms take it down. And that gives me a beautiful tilt. And I'll just tell you one more thing before you come back at me with all your arguments. At Burley Park, I can see you're gasping to do that. At Burley Park, <laughs> um, Pete Glass is the head forester there and they've got sudden oak problems, a sudden oak disease on their oak trees because of all the people coming to the horse trials trampling around their, their oaks. And so he puts on a mulch all around the edge of the canopy and right up to the trunk, but not touching the trunk, every year. And then if you go around with the penetrometer, which is, it tests the compactness of the soil, and you push it into the soil where he's got the mulch, the penetrometer just zooms in easily. And then when you put it into the soil under the trees that he hasn't applied the mulch, you can't get it in because it's so compacted. And what's more, the oak trees where they have the mulch are lovely and healthy and green, and the ones that haven't are really sickly. And so it just shows you how putting the soil on the top means that the microorganisms, the worms, take it all down, aerate the soil and make the tilth beautiful. Now, you tell me you're, you're antis, because I know you are anti. And, and, and <laughs> but, Bunny, I'm with you 100% that the top two or three inches are the most fertile. Okay, I'm with you with that 100%. Well, with the, mo- the most microorganisms, the most, they've got the most bugs in yes. them, those lovely teeming bugs that we love, yes. That, that's right, yes. You yeah. know, I, I accept that, okay. Right. But, but when I moved into this house 50 years ago, it was really thick, heavy Essex yellow clay, okay? Um, yeah. The top dried out. We're in the driest part of the country. Yeah, uh, desert and it, almost. And, and it would crack, of course, and we'd have two-inch wide fissures down into the soil. And yeah. there wasn't much life in it at all, okay? Um, and then I set about uh, autumn digging with my spade, but, of course, incorporated the organic matter rather than sitting it on the top. I'm limited to the amount of organic matter that I have living in a domestic street. I just have seven compost bins in a very modest garden, 200 feet by 50. And I've never got enough organic matter. And if I dig it in, I can still find it 12 months later. If I use it as a mulch, it burns up and I lose it. And I would like to think that I had a full spade's depth of uh, bacterial activity I certainly have far more worms now than ever there was at the beginning. And can I tell you one little story? Yes. A nurseryman called R.V. Roger, uh, you know, the company now is in the third generation, R.V. Rogers at Pickering. When he started in business, he had 10 acres of land. And with one man, he double dug it before he planted a single tree or shrub cutting. Now, I can't believe that he did that for no reason. Well, he would have thought that was the thinking of the day, wasn't it? That was the thinking of the day. Um, I remember when I was doing my horticultural degree at Reading, and, and that would be, what would that be, 40, 50 years ago? 50, yeah, 76, did I do it? Um, they Even then, they thought rotivators were the demon, you know. They really were awful because they stir the soil and destroy the structure. And even today, you get people who like rotivators, so that still hasn't sort of percolated through the destruction they do to the soil texture. But but if you if you put your mulch on the top and you don't dig it in, that is the best way to increase your worm populations rather than digging it in. They they have proven that. And oh, my father used to sell. He was a poultry farmer, and he used to sell um, the poultry manure 
as a compost for gardeners. He used to bag it up and sell it. And he used to get so many testimonials coming in from people he sold this to as to how it it beats the clay bogey. That was one of his slogans on the bag, <laughs> I remember it. And 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 I and it really did. You know, you had letters from these women who had stopped digging and just put it on the top. And they found it really did work its way in because the worms take it down along with all the microorganisms. And they found that really good. How will we settle this, Peter? We'll have to take a piece of virgin clay. We'll have to have half your side and half my side. And then after periods, we'll have to just do transects through the soil and just examine it. Do you think we could we could we could we could solve this debate that way? Because I'm sure we're not going to persuade each other by chatting. I would be very happy to see that and see the result. I, I think that um, with my aeration and digging, that we would see an immediate improvement. Now, with the surface mulching, you may well see a better long-term improvement without the work, if you see what I mean, but it will take a lot of organic matter and time. Well, time in the time scale. Well, I'm not, I would just put loads on. You see, I buy the green waste if I need it for a project. If there's no compost, then I just buy in the green waste. And that is brilliant, I think. I'm not a great favourite of that. But could I come back to the rotavator? Because I, yes. could, I couldn't agree more. On my heavy oh, soil, yes. rotavators should be locked in the shed from September to April. Oh, I would lock them in the shed 12 months. Well, I, I, I think that if you're on unbelievably heavy clay and you have terrible clods, there is a use between May and August <laughs> to break those dry lumps up. I mean, when it's wet, it's almost like stirring a Victoria sandwich. Oh, you know, you yeah. you just destroy the structure completely. Yeah. But yeah. if it but if it's very dry, it it's like a, a clod that you hit at this time of the year with the back of a chrome. It'll crumble down. And so I think that there may be a place for a rotavator, but from May to September, lock the damn things up from there onwards through the winter. Well, <laughs> yeah. I've been working with Tim O'Hare a bit, who is a soil scientist who works on the Olympic Park. And he was saying when they planted these big trees and they were like a metre circumference at, at the trunks were at the Olympic Park, when they dug the tree pits, they just dug, dug them 400 mil deep. And below that depth, they put in um, inert subsoil or sand. They didn't take their topsoil any deeper down in the tree pits than 400 mil because if you have topsoil below this depth, it actually reverts and you get um, uh, what's, anaerobic, um, anaerobic yeah. conditions and toxins producing with ammonia, methane and stuff. And, and that's the thing that people always do, don't they? They always dig these massive deep tree pits. Yeah deep and wide, and they've been found to be really detrimental. You want them as small as you can get the tree roots in, really. Uh, and what is 400 millimetres in proper money? It would be one foot, um, yes. four yeah, inches. Just over a, so it's hardly any depth at all. A spade steps. Yeah, we're talking single digging a spade steps again, yeah. Depends on your spade, yeah. yes. One foot, four inches. Your spade's a deep spade. I think, the, I think the blade on my spade is best part of 12 inches. Well, probably not now because I wear them down. <laughs> as, you, as, you get, as you get older, you don't lift quite so much soil. <laughs> 
so I was sent a stainless steel spade and it had on it um, a lifetime guarantee and we were on very stony soil. And I tell you, I buckled and broke about four or five spades and they kept sending me back new ones in return for the lifetime guarantee. And then I just gave up. So I do do digging, Peter. (laughs) And I can break many spades. You need to know that stainless steel is brittle. You need a forged spade. And, and then it's like, and then it's like wood. It has a grain in it when it's hammered out, and it rings. You know when you hit it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now I haven't even bothered to get my next stainless steel. I've given up. <laughs> now, now, Bunny. Yes. Uh, Bunny, thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot. Right. Bye bye. And the towel piece. My quote for the week from Paddy Murray. If the grass is greener in the other fella's garden, let him worry about mowing it. <laughs> it's a reminder for me to get the mower out again this weekend. Looks as if grass needs a, another cut and a tidy up. Look forward to joining you again next week. My thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants Limited of Pershaw in Worcestershire. To my producer, Rich Jarman, and of course, to you for listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 